0: Welcome to MarketScale Retail. I'm Sean Heath and today I get to have a conversation with Carol Speakerman. She's the CEO of Speakerman Retail. Carol, how are you today?
1: I'm terrific. Thank you, Sean.
0: Now I'm going to say, based on your last name and the name of the company, I think you know the boss.
1: Yes, I do. We're, uh, we're quite close.
0: How, uh, how <laughs> did your boss convince you to come to work for and be the CEO for Speakerman Retail?
1: Well, uh, boy, that's a, I've never heard that one before. Um, well, I, I, I think just, uh, years of working with other folks and, and helping them and sort of seeing what worked. Uh, the boss decided that perhaps that could be done on a larger scale and to the benefit of many companies and Speakerman Retail was born.
0: Now you have had throughout your career. You've worked for some really big names. So Mm -hmm. you are not intimidated by big names. That's really where you thrive. So talk to me about stepping into that industry with the confidence that you inevitably had to have to step in and say, yep, I belong here.
1: Well, you know, I I actually got into retail quite by accident. I, I started in retail, you know, back when... Um, what were called manufacturers at the time uh, because people actually, companies actually made stuff, which they don't necessarily so much anymore. Um, I started on the manufacturing side, working for uh, quite a few companies, helping them grow their business. You know, and back then, which really wasn't that long ago, I'm talking maybe in the nineties, you know, business was falling from the trees and uh, retailers were, you know, had rapt attention, listening to the wisdom of their suppliers. And uh, really there was the power dynamics were completely different to where uh, the manufacturers, the suppliers um, had a lot of sway and a lot of influence. And uh, it was a really good time to be one of those manufacturers. But um, that's how I got started in the business. But I always had sort of a contrarian approach to the way the business was done then. I was more collaborative. I sort of Understood that uh, I didn't know everything and I learned a lot from my retail customers. And, uh, you know, that was really sort of a different way of doing business. You know, back then, again, the manufacturers were sort of sitting in the catbird seat and they were used to dictating everything. And um, my contrarian way of doing things turned out to be really uh, the way the power dynamics shifted to where retailers became much more powerful and a lot of manufacturers were not ready for that. But I think working in that environment, working more collaboratively with them and across lots of different categories really prepared me for where retail was going next and kept me interested in the business and passionate about the business. You know, it's so interesting. I say that so many of the folks that I used to work with didn't leave the business, but the business left them because I think they did sort of stay in that mindset to where uh, Manufacturers were king and retailers were, you know, sort of uh, at the bottom of the rung. And of course, that's completely changed.
0: Now, you have established yourself as a well-known speaker and a trainer, but there's one hat that you wear that I don't think gets enough attention, and that is you are a retail strategist. You're yeah. literally playing retail chess. And I'm curious as to how you approach the evolution of within the subsets of the retail industry? Because now you add in technology companies or solution providers, or even industries that are retail adjacent. How do you have to change your approach from a strategic standpoint? Does it change based on the vertical that you're going into?
1: Well, you know, the, in the old days, uh, these, those verticals really drove the business and it was a very specialized business. Um, and, you know, some folks still thinks that, think that's the case, but the fact is, you know, and, and what really got me into doing the training and and, you know, being in the business that I'm in and advising these companies is sort of distilling those higher truths that transcended category and channel and all of those silos that used to dictate retail and, you know, how everybody operated. So that really is the secret sauce to what I do is is distilling those higher truths and processes for positioning these companies and helping them accelerate their business development regardless of their category. And now even regardless of the way that they operate in retail. So my clients on the advisory side are those technology companies, they're traditional manufacturers, their brand marketers, and all of these new stakeholders too that are coming into retail including other industries that want to borrow best practices uh, from retail. So I have a, a process and, and workshops that I give that, that are relevant for all of those different types of stakeholders and that uh, allow them to approach retail from that big picture standpoint. You know, they're the experts at what they do, but they need to sort of be able to pull the camera back and address retail from that, from that broader uh, sort of universal perspective. And that's what I help
0: them do. As you're able to dissect the larger picture down into understandable pieces, it's you've been able to distill the overall scheme into what you like to call the three R's. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yes. The, those three R's uh, really dictate everything that I do, whether it's uh, speaking or training, corporate positioning, business development, acceleration, and i boil it all down to what i call rethink, reframe and retell. rethink being that thought leadership piece. a lot of you know the speaking engagements, the media contributions really sort of fall into that rethink uh, world. but it uh, but it's also where my retail trajectories reside and these are themes that i'm constantly creating and connecting and curating uh, on behalf of my clients and also for my the presentations that I give around the world on retail and they they really are the uh, vocabulary for articulating those higher truths that I mentioned uh, earlier so that's sort of the rethink world and you know those trajectories also guide a lot of the strategy that I develop for these for these uh, companies reframe is focusing on corporate positioning really with an emphasis on helping companies relevantly position the great stuff they already do. You know, there's so many shiny objects out there, particularly in retail right now, so it's really tempting to think, wow, we should be jumping ahead and looking at what we should do next, when in fact so many companies haven't really owned the assets they already have and relevantly positioned those. Once that happens, then they tend to make better decisions about what they do next. So that's that corporate positioning piece of it that is reframed. Retail is strategically sequencing that corporate corporate positioning and that message and that value proposition in a way that accelerates business development, that tells a really relevant story about what these companies do in a very succinct and powerful and retail centric way, and that allows them to continue to reinforce that corporate positioning but again, in a way that drives outcomes and that you know accelerates their business development. So when I give a when I conduct one of my one day workshops, for example, rethink, reframe, and retell is really the scaffolding for the day.
0: You get to see a lot of changes from varying perspectives. You get to see um, clients really gain that sense of empowerment when they grasp the concept that you present to them and they're able to apply it and then they have success and you get to share in that with them and enjoy that. You also get to take your experience and use that to inform your perspective looking forward as you start to map out and determine what trends are on the way. What trends have you seen recently that you think have a a possibility or have the potential to really stick and become something that we're talking about five years from now?
1: Well, uh, you you know, it's uh, the trends really do have a role in retail, but actually the trajectories that I mentioned are sort of my alternative to trends. You know, as I tell my clients trend watching has a role in retail, particularly if you're following, you know, fashion trends or, you know, specific trends in your industry. But these days, as fast as retail's moving, once something becomes a trend, it's often too late. And besides, if you're just trend watching, you're kind of chasing after what everybody else is chasing, even if it doesn't make sense for your business. So really, I would return back to those trajectories as sort of the way I address these, these retail dynamics. And some I mapped out you know, 10, 15 years ago and they continue to evolve and change in some really interesting ways because they're meant to withstand the test of time. Others, to address your specific question, are more recent dynamics. Uh, You know, things like uh, what I call the convenience conundrum. You know, these days, the good news is not everything is a race to the bottom on price. That's a myth that I love to bust. Uh, Pricing has become more challenging, of course, with with digital and e-commerce and the ability to compare prices more easily than ever before. But convenience is actually overtaking price as a top decision driver for uh, consumers, according to many recent studies. The convenience conundrum, though, is that what retailers have realized is different customers define convenience differently. And to make it even more complex, even the same customer can define convenience differently depending on the category they're shopping, um, the occasion, or even the time of day. So that's the conundrum piece of it that retailers and brand marketers and all of those other stakeholders are having to address. And as a result, most are realizing that they have to offer a a vast array of convenience options. They can't afford to try to force customers into options that work best for them or that are more profitable for them. They have to be in the business of providing choice. So that's a very powerful and recent dynamic uh, that, that's really a game changer.
0: One of the general descriptions that most people on the street would have for retail, if you ask them, hey, what's retail? They would say, oh, well, that's where people sell stuff. But that's incredibly simple and not exactly accurate anymore. Retailers aren't places that sell stuff anymore, correct?
1: Yes, and that's a, a fundamental premise that underpins everything else that I talk about and that, that uh, I do. And I, I boil it down to what I call platform positioning. And it is, it is that premise that retailers are no longer just places that sell stuff, they are platforms. And those platforms now contain products and brands as they always have, but also big data, uh, content, acquisitions, partnerships, and so much more. So the opportunity is for companies that work with retailers to not just sell stuff or try to sell stuff to them, but to position platform to platform with them. And uh, that's a really powerful shift and it's very empowering for companies that work with retailers because they realize they can approach retailers from any number of different perspectives that go way beyond just pushing products or services.
0: With all this rapid growth, there is a tendency for retailers and for consumers to feel overwhelmed. The The changes can just seem like too much, too fast. And that can lead to either exhilaration, but more often it can lead to a sense of negativity, a, a doom and gloom from the retailer side. How can we keep up with this? But also from the customer side, I don't know there's too many choices it's too complex. How do you approach that challenge? Cuz it is a challenge for the industry. Negativity is something you probably have to confront head on every single day.
1: Yes and I and I think that it's you know that's so true and it's something that I'm I'm constantly uh com, you know combating in the, in the industry because the the doomsday predictions about retail are so pervasive in in the media And it can, you know, create a feeling of doom with retailers and with those who work with retailers, like, you know, just wanting to throw in the towel or, again, to your point, just feeling very overwhelmed. And that's why I have tools like my trajectories to where it it allows companies to wrap their heads around all of these seemingly random things that are, you know, bombarding them from every angle and to, again, sort of get to those higher truths and those call to action that are going to make a real difference in their business and get past all that noise and negativity. Because there the fact is there are so many opportunities these days and that's where the focus needs to be. Let's focus on the opportunities and get out of this, this negative news cycle. Because the fact is business is being done and a lot of business is being done and you wanna be one of those companies that's doing that business. Now, from a consumer perspective, you're so right. It, of course, it has uh, repercussions that, there as well, and retailers are realizing. You know, I mentioned before this this importance of choice, but retailers are also realizing they, in some some ways, they have to curate those choices in logical and strategic ways, or else consumers feel overwhelmed. And when consumers feel overwhelmed, they will throw in the towel, and they'll say, "You know what?" I'll make that decision later, or I'll jump off to another platform that makes it easier for me to make these decisions. So it's always about striking that balance between uh, presenting choices and options, not making consumers feel as though they're being steered into something or manipulated, which they'll rebel against instantly, but at the same time, not overwhelming them with all kinds of choices that they you know, that makes them, you know, paralyzed, uh, to make
0: a decision. From your position, I would bet that companies ask you almost constantly to give them a prediction to help them predict what's going to happen. And there's a quote that you have that I would like you to share with our listeners about how you feel about predictions. (laughs)
1: Well, predictions like trends, they do have a role in retail and I'm asked to make them on a regular basis and I do make them on occasion. But predictions assume that knowing what's ahead is going to protect you from what's coming. And that's never the case in retail. And so it isn't that predictions aren't fun to listen to or even fun to make, but at the end of the day, they are beside the point. We want to focus on what's happening now and what you can do about it, not trying to look ahead and, you know, creating the delusion that you in some way can prevent what's coming or mitigate it. So... A little bit of that's okay, but um, focusing on the here and now, I think, is so much more important.
0: And one thing that you are able to do constantly, I'm reminded when I when I found out that I was going to get to talk to you, and I and I knew about that quote of yours, I I was sort of reminded that in retail, image is really important, and that made me think back to an ad campaign that Nike had with Andre Agassi, and the tagline was, image is everything. And that could not be less true. Image is visible, but image is nowhere near as important as implementation and planning. And that's a point that you really drive home to your clients.
1: Well, on some level, I I think... That is that is one of those higher truths, you know, when, when you think of uh, the world of branding, which is, you know, sort of a subset of a lot of the things that I talk about, you know, changing and evolving brand dynamics, brand has traditionally been all about image and, you know, to the point to where you can think that a change in a logo or, a, you know, a refresh on a tagline or a font is, you know, really going to, to make it move the needle. But increasingly that's not the case. And more brands are finding out that it's through these deeper levels of engagement and personalization that they're going to uh, really forge better relationships with consumers. So, you know, and of course that's true with uh, the retailers themselves. You know, we went through a period where uh, when retailers were just places that sell stuff that there really were not that image conscience. It was the brands that drove the image part of the business. Then an interesting evolution happened to where retailers started thinking of themselves as brands. So not only were they becoming image conscious and saying, hey, wow, we can become a destination. People can be loyal to us, not just to the brands that we sell. And so this idea of retailer as brand became uh, a much more prominent concept, right down to the fact that retailers started creating and marketing their own brands. And so we're seeing a lot of evolution there as well in terms of this uh, idea of, you know, from generics to uh, private labels, to private brands. And now we see this resurgence in this identity piece of the business with retailers, uh, with their own brands and beyond social media, etc. cetera, that goes that that goes way past that whole idea of just brand identity and image that you mentioned, and into this whole world of multi-touchpoint engagement, that is necessary to drive that loyalty and awareness with consumers these days.
0: As retailers started to see themselves as brands, they even started some of them to create an experience that was unique to their particular store i'm reminded of nordstroms with their personal shoppers and as technology continues to grow and automation becomes a key buzzword the retail industry is is honestly and rightfully nervous that automation can will change the way their experience is presented to their customers do you think automation is really that much of a threat or will companies be able to maintain that human interaction and use automation just to increase their efficiency?
1: You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, it, you know, like a lot of things in retail, it really is not just black or white. Um, I do I, I have been talking about, you know, one of my trajectories is the shift from high tech to high touch. So again, a bit of a mythbuster there that everything is about high touch, high-tech and algorithms and automation, when in fact we're seeing a big swing toward high touch. But what's happening is high tech is going to enable high touch. And a lot of that's going to be happening in brick and mortar, sort of a, another contrarian thing here, you know, that digital is going to take over the world and stores are obsolete. You know, going back to your example of Nordstrom and many others. Retailers are realizing now that the next frontier is going to be high, uh, harnessing those high uh, tech solutions and high tech um, services and integrating them into their in store environments to create a high touch experience. So it's about integrating the two. And that means, you know, even just down to a personnel side of things. Everybody isn't going to be replaced by a robot or a machine, or at least not for the, you know, for the near term. It's going to be a shift, though, to where certain functions that are repetitive and easily replaced will be. But other roles will be created and other skills will be required that will make that high touch proposition. And, you know, along with it, that people power uh, more powerful and more relevant than ever before. So I would consider it much more of a shift than you know, uh, you know, a black and white replacement.
0: Having spent a year or so working in a shoe store, I fully support the development of a robot that could restock the twenty-seven pairs of sandals that this one customer <laughs> wanted me to have them try on, so I didn't have to do that. I'm just that I just want that out there for anybody listening. If you're developing a robot. Shoe stores—that's the first place you should really focus your efforts.
1: Well, funny enough, uh, Sean, there are companies out there that are developing those types of solutions, uh, where that is the very type of repetitive um, action that robots can do and are starting to do. And what—and and it, and it also speaks to a, to another dynamic where there that so many retailers now and and other retail focused companies have never been more open to partnership. So one of my most relevant trajectories is what I call buy, build, or bridge. That really is the question of the day. What solutions does it make sense for retailers to build internally? What solutions does it make sense to bridge as in through partnership? And we see all this acceleration and acquisition activity happening in retail because retailers are realizing in some cases they got to cut to the chase and outright buy some of these solutions in order uh, to remain relevant. So when you look at things like robotics, um, you know, all, all kinds of, you know, artificial intelligence and things like that, in many cases, retailers are finding their way to these solutions through partnership and through acquisition but as they get really good at it and get you know a better understanding of it they're also being more emboldened to build some of those solutions internally so that's going to be a it's going to be a constant push and pull between those three uh, possibilities and instead of saying wow should we do one or the other it's going to be buying building and bridging simultaneously in order to make sure that they stay on top of innovation
0: Today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with the CEO of Speakerman Retail, Carol Speakerman. You can find Carol at Speakerman Retail. That's S-P-I-E-C-K-E-R-M-A-N Retail dot com. You can find her on Twitter at Retail, the letter expert. Carol, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Sean. It was such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for your awesome questions.